Hi. Are you here? So, is there a waterfall in your lobby? Yeah, there sure is. <laughs> okay, I'll be down. Or wait, are you in the lobby? Or are you in the like? I'm between the doors. Okay, I'm coming down. Struggle. I'm Nick Watson. And I'm Bree Watson. And <laughs> we have a special guest today. That was super smooth, you guys. Right? We're yes. always pretty smooth. Our special guest is uh, writer and comedian Sherilyn Johnson. Welcome to the show, Sherilyn. Thank you for having me. Yay! I was very careful not to say journalist. Well, uh, okay, so yeah. <laughs> Do we want to start there? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Okay. That's one of my questions in there. So What's good. your question? It's on the list. You got, oh, okay. Everyone you can't see, there's a giant list. Yeah, there's of... a list, and it's like number five on there. So all bonus questions, as opposed to, and this isn't even, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> we yeah. were going over the questions earlier. Um, I was wanting to know, like, I I went to your website, and you, you had mentioned that you wrote for uh, the paper record for this city, the Toronto Star. Oh, yeah, a couple times I contributed to the Star. Cool, and, um, oh, shoot, who else? Now Magazine as well. Yeah, did some stuff for them. In the T-Dot. I wanted to know, uh, how do you go about some, that process? Like, how did you get to write for them? How did it Well, this kind of ties in, so, so you're asking it the proper way, and then, uh, and then Brie is, uh, is asking in the, as a result of my drunken rants at comedy bars. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't do that anymore, yeah, man. Yeah. I'm happy with both these directions, actually. Yeah. So let me let me take it from both directions. Uh, I started writing. Uh, well, I started writing as a journalist, as an entertainment journalist, uh, when uh, I was 17, uh, 16 or Holy 17. Cow. Yeah, right. in Winnipeg. In yeah. Winnipeg, uh, and contributed to the University of Winnipeg paper. I was actually taking high school at the University of Winnipeg. I uh, started contributing to the paper, and then at 17, before I even entered university, they made me the A&E section editor. Nice. So, uh, so I was like, this is going to be my career, <laughs> uh, back when journalist was still a valid career option. <laughs> when people still printed things on paper? Yeah. Wow. Amazing, How right? did you do? Did you just like, I want to do this, so I'm going to look up how to do it? And Well, but it wasn't even, uh, they didn't even pay anything. Well, like, no, I know. Yeah, this was 1995, uh, and, you know... Uh, I wanted to write a story about a, a thing, and so I went and I was like, "Can I do this?" And they're like, "Sure." Oh, cool! So I contributed right. like three things, and they were hiring a section editor. Uh, and for some reason, they picked me. Oh, sweet! Uh, and I was like, "Great!" So you know, I get sent CDs from the record labels. I had a friend and... who did that at Ottawa U. You really, all you would have had to do is like, I went to really good. <laughs> I went to the Western Gazette and asked them about uh, a story, what they would need, and they was like, "Oh, you need to verify all these sources." You need to get both points uh, of view. I was like, this is way too much work. Fuck you. Yeah, but this was just, <laughs> uh, this was just like, you know, reviews and stuff. Like, it was very mm, few, right. you know, I interviewed, like, you know, one of the guys from Very Good Ladies, and one oh. of the guys from Great Big C, and the yeah. odds, and, you know, it was a, it, I was classic. I was the odds today. Nice. I just need to point that out, that I'm still 
all about the CanCon listeners. Wait a minute, so, Sherlyn, are you around Bree's age then? She's more young, around your age. Oh, okay. So that was like the boom of Canadian content. Like all the Canadian indie bands were just like, yeah, we have to play you on the radio right now. Well, that's no different than right now. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that, CanCon requirements are the still still the same. But it started then. That's when you got like Our Lady Peace and uh, sure. you know, I Mother Earth started then too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, okay. uh, <laughs> we can talk about CanCon all all hour if we want because I could just I, I subscribe to like a 90s alternative subreddit and I love it. <laughs> awesome. uh, it's amazing. So uh, I went off to I went to Niagara College because I was like I want to go to <laughs> I know <laughs> no no not at all um, I was like I want to go to Ontario but I can't afford to live in Toronto that's only like an, uh, a couple hours away yeah. oh boy <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of logic you use when you're 18 years old. Um, I would have thought Welland was a good transition from Winnipeg. <laughs> that is an insult to Winnipeg, sir. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, so I was stuck uh, on campus as a residence and oh, you know, didn't realize yeah. that I went to school with a whole bunch of people who would just go home every weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the campus oh. pub wasn't even open on the weekends. Ah. Um, it was, yeah, it was bad. I would like walk to Walmart at the Seaway oh. Mall. Uh, and buy something on VHS and take it back to my room and watch yeah. it ten times. Okay. Uh, that was my life in college. Yeah, um, okay. So, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was fine. Um, whatever, it was only two years, got out of there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the college is better now. I just feel it like I is should say... a lot, well improved. Well, when my folks came to visit well me... Well improved? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when my folks came to visit me back in July, uh, we drove down to Niagara and we, like, stopped... In Welland, because uh, my mom had never seen it. My dad had seen the campus. Okay. My mom had never seen it. Um, and so we pull in, and I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> yes. I was yes. like, there's, there's, there's no new buildings here. This is nice. It was a sh- I was like, this oh, is no. a shithole. <laughs> it did look like like something that was just out of the 60s. It was a big high school, renovated. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it was like a giant They're really investing in it. Um, oh, yes, Jelly. She'll interrupt from time to yeah. time. With There's a cat in here if anyone can't hear it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so did that. And while I was there, uh, I would cover, uh, Yucks would send down you know, two poor suckers uh, <laughs> every week to do. And it was really the worst gig because uh, oh, it was a free, it was free comedy night every Wednesday oh, no. and so at the campus pub um, oh. and people w- but people were there to drink because there was nowhere else to drink and they're like I and don't care about no comedy that's basically it uh. Uh, so I mean we had some you know really good people come through yeah. but uh, it was yeah it was brutal but uh, I you know I knew enough to I knew enough about comedy and knew enough to know that you know comedy reporter was a job because uh, I had become familiar with Andrew Clark, oh. uh, who uh, sort of was my writing idol. Nick, um, you know Andrew Clark. You bought me his book for my confirmation. Oh, that ah, <laughs> that see, helped you out a little bit, Avery. I I had uh, I had his book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this cat on me right now. Uh, I'm double fisting beer and water, and the cat wants one of them. Uh, so anyway, um, I was familiar with him from his book, and, and knew that he was a reporter for I at the time. Uh, when I was still around. Yeah. I magazine. I yep. weekly. I weekly, and uh, you know, thought, well, this is a, a cool thing to do, and so I, you know, built up my portfolio covering mostly comedy. 
went back to Winnipeg, was freelancing, mostly covering music. And Did you cover the, the like, the acts that would come yep. to Welland? Absolutely. Wow. Um, and they, and unbeknownst to me at the time, they had had, had just terrible experiences with, you know, whatever student had been assigned. Basically, you get assigned mm. a beat in your second year, and it could be anything on campus, off campus, and I basically threatened my journalism teacher. I was like, if you do not give me the campus pubs that I can cover the comedy <laughs> shows, I will kill you. Uh, and and he uh, trusted that that was true. Uh, I, yeah, I would, you know, I know you, and I would believe that. Yeah, and so, uh, so did that, but I didn't know that they had had terrible experiences with uh, the students in previous years, not knowing anything about comedy, oh, uh, oh. not knowing how to describe stuff they would like. You know, there was a girl the year previous to me who was always complaining about how vulgar everybody was. And, <laughs> like, you know, and this is before anything was up online, and these guys were still getting to read, like, read it and, and getting pissed off. So at first I was, like, I, I learned very early how to... Uh, make it known that I knew what I was talking about. Um, so I'd like, you know, ask a basic question and if I felt they weren't into it, I would like just throw down some nerdy knowledge <laughs> and then we'd be fine. Um, and by the end of the school, that school year, I guess word had gotten around that like they weren't letting assholes, uh, cover the, cover the shows anymore. So that was nice. <laughs> uh, so yeah, went back to Winnipeg, covered, went to, uh, mostly music uh, just on, on a freelance, occasional basis, and then um, after a couple years, I was like, I have to, I have to do comedy again, uh, and so I asked my editor if I could just exclusively cover comedy, and she was like, yeah, go for it, cool. uh, which at the time, you know, we're now talking like 2002, late 2002, it was still a very niche you know, people weren't doing it. Like, now we, we take for granted that there is, you know, Split Cider and yeah. Huffco Comedy and all of this stuff. Like, it's an, in an industry unto itself. And it definitely was not at the time. It was it was not, you know, comedy did not get a lot of love in the mainstream. No, it was um, after the collapse of the boom. I don't, did the boom really happen in Canada at all? Yeah, it did. It yeah. happened, happened everywhere. Um, but, yeah, so it was, it was, I mean, we're talking long after the collapse of the boom, because I'm talking now 2000, you know. We're oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, that was 15 years after the, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was basically, you know, the Just for Laughs comedy tour that would come through every year. Um, and every so often there was somebody who was coming to Rumors, uh, who was, which is the one comedy club in town, uh, who, that was worth writing about. When did the about. festival start there? Because now there's a huge festival there. Yeah, right? it is uh, 15 years ago, I guess. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, it, you know, that started out small. So there wasn't a ton. It wasn't like, you know, doing it here where there seems to be a festival every week and there seems right. to be, yeah. you know, part of that too is, is the boom that we're in right now. But, um, you know, it was, it was good. I was doing like about a story a month, two stories a month, maybe. That's pretty cool. Which was good. And then, uh, I moved here and was like, hey, Toronto, I'm here. And <laughs> I was like, oh, no one cares what I, you know, what I've done elsewhere. Um, and that's when I started, uh, Third Beat. Uh, so it started out just as a blog where, uh, I was writing about anything to do with comedy, whether it was like sort of a formal thing or not. Uh, and then quickly it, you know, gained some traction and, you know, I was like, well, guess I need a domain name. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was like that. Um, and then, uh, continued doing it. So I, I was covering, 
shows in Toronto, so a lot of stuff uh, that was coming through town, a lot of local stuff, any festivals uh, I would do. I'd go to Just for Laughs every year, cover stuff at that. I would go to Del Close Marathon in New York, a um, couple other things in New York that I covered. Uh, but yeah, basically a one-person operation and uh, made sure that it paid for itself kind of a thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's nice to be able to deduct travel expenses for stuff like that. Oh, uh, for, for your small business. For my small business, <laughs> on my taxes. Uh, worked out nice. That's cool. Uh, you know, spend just enough to wipe out your profits. And you know, <laughs> um, so did that. And then when I started writing the book, um, it sort of fell by the wayside because uh, obviously I was, I was, you know, writing day and night. Uh, on an accelerated schedule and stopped blogging and then realized that A, I didn't miss it very much. Right. And B, it had served its purpose long ago because the only reason I was really doing it was to have a calling card for myself. Right. And it reached the point where the star actually invited me to write for them. And Ooh. now and now magazine invited me to write for them. I didn't even have to knock on those doors. So I was like, okay, well, I think we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, so I haven't officially shut it down. You know, it's it. I'm just not posting anything new to it, really. It's still there. I'm not making any grand proclamation that I'm never going to post anything on it ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm. But right now, you're focused on poking the other fires. What is that? Stoking. Stoking the other. Fires. Sure. <laughs> and, I mean, God knows, I got enough other fires to take care of. Anyway, so uh, so when I, I, think I at the same time, there are a couple other like, or at least recently past couple years there were a couple other websites that were doing something similar but I never found that it had the same you know like it was weird because it was usually stand-up comics you know writing critiques and reviews of of comedy in the city which just seemed biased from the get-go absolutely like it's if you have at least some journalism training even if it is Niagara College journalism training (laughs) no wrong um you know you you approach things in a certain way that you wouldn't if you're just you know a blogger like you know one Mm. of my one of my journalist friends in new york runs a comedy news website and he he hates the term blogger because it implies someone who amateurish yes someone who is untrained somebody who's not accountable for what they write and uh, oh, and mm. he so he hates the he hates the word blogger and I totally understand that because he he's a journalist he you know used to work for a major daily down there and um, I, I think that the fact that he runs his own thing he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves so um, you know it's because anyone with a blogspot account can can do it um, and also too yeah there's a glut of all of this you know it's easy content to write. Most comics are pretty accessible if you want to do interviews, profiles, all that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people are doing it. It went from nobody doing it to everybody doing it. Yeah, I guess. But you had an established voice basically doing it. Would you think about having a writer write for you to post on that website? Uh, a couple of times I've had people help me out, uh, you know, if there's something I really wanted to cover and couldn't. Uh-huh. You know, when the SheDot Festival was happening, uh, you know, I couldn't make it because I was writing the book. And, mm-hmm. But I really wanted something in to post about that festival um so i had another writer uh do some stuff and and post for me um so you know a a couple of times i've done it i've had contributors um or if somebody you know somebody in new york is like hey do you want you know media comps media comps to this 
then I can say, you know, you know, I think I know someone who might want to go to that. Oh, and right. if they can promise me that they'll, you know, because I've had problems before where I've had someone offer to do something and then it takes like four weeks and I'm just like, what? Ooh, from a writer? Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, from, In you know, comedy? <laughs> and that's the thing too. Like no one is as accountable to me as I am. No, so, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's very frustrating to have to go through and, you know, you find factual errors, which, you know, can happen to anybody, but, um, it's almost as much work to have to edit somebody else's work and to manage another person oh, yeah. as it is to just do it do myself. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, just in general, it's, it's, it was a lot of work and I don't really miss it. And it, I can always now, you know, go to whatever publication I want and pitch something if a specific story, you know, I have a couple of story ideas, um, that I'd like to do and I can sell them elsewhere For and sure. cool. have no problem doing that. So. All right. Uh, but yeah, the book uh, made me crazy, so we can <laughs> talk about my <laughs> sanity loss. What, 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 what book? About? There's what? a book? Oh, it's right here, Brie. <laughs> yes. Sarah Lynn wrote, Bears and Balls, The Colbert Report, A to Z. Yeah. Zed. The what? What was the name of the show? The, the Colbert Report. To what? What? Wait, did I say report? I heard you report. Said, I heard report. Oh my god! I put the T in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Unforgivable. Yeah. Uh, so you wrote a book. It was past about my bedtime. Thing. I couldn't really watch the show. <laughs> I wrote this the most dickish way I could. I uh, love it. Sherilyn, what gave you the right to write about Colbert? Oh. So that's just the dickish way. Like, no. But I, I want it from like, uh, from the brave point of view. Like you. Saw this. He's a huge phenomenon. God, I'm not going to say that word. Phenomenon. Thank you. With no T on the end. Yeah, and uh, and you said like I'm going to do this book. Like that's pretty ballsy. That you uh, know, like, it's pretty bears and ballsy. Bears. Oh, well, I'm going to stop. There this is go. my contribution to this podcast. You guys don't even need a guest. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this is huge. This is like this is giving yourself permission. This is like not waiting to be asked. You've you found something that you obviously love, and you went for it. Like, can you talk about that? Well, I mean, if you want to talk about qualifications... Uh, well, I guess you're qualified. Uh, like, you, you've got the background, but, like, still. Sure. Okay, so, you know, other, you know, other than, you know, being a comedy journalist for however long... Uh, God, that ages me so much. <laughs> um, you know, I went to 13 tapings of the rapport. I studied, awesome. I studied comedy writing under his executive producer and how to write in the style of that show. Oh, all right. So. Uh, I went to, like, oh, okay. I all right, you actually continue. have... Cr- all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you nailed me. No, no, no. Well, like, this is awesome as well. Like, you put in... Uh, I think it's a metric fuck ton of work. Yeah, but also, <laughs> like, in addition to the... You know, your qualifications, you're a super fan, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm a super fan to the point of, you know, I I appreciate him as a performer, and I appreciate what they put into creating that show, mm-hmm. and I, I still view it with a critical eye. I'm not, you know, yeah, right. you know, I'm not the you're 100- not just fangirling out on it, right. right? I'm not the 100% cheerleader every minute of every day. I mean, I try to be. Uh, I think it's certainly warranted most of the time. Um, but you know, certainly things where, uh, I, you know, I'll I'll look at something and be like, oh, that's an interesting choice. I don't know if I would have made that same choice, and uh, you know, just just things where other people might not, you know, pick it pick up on stuff. Uh, I can pick up on because uh, well, I sure. kind of know the style. And... Every single episode, of course. you've probably a couple times. You've oh God, <laughs> the number of times that I had to watch things 
just for the book, I guess. Multiple times. Um, yeah, there were, you know, uh, the way that we split up the work, I, um, I co-authored it, and my co-author and I split. We do it as a almost like a dictionary of the show. So it's, it's an encyclopedic hand guide, um, handbook. So we, uh, we split the topics that we were going to cover so there were things where and we we just brainstormed a list of here's everything that we think should be in the book and as we went sometimes we deleted some stuff and then we added some stuff um, but it is not a complete you know you can't fit uh, however many you know thousands of episodes uh, well sixteen hundred something like that um, of content into a book like that uh, so it was just a representation of of the show but we uh, you know a lot of the stuff that you you think you remember one way, especially from the beginning, because we're talking, you know, a decade yeah. ago. Um, uh, you know, you look back on again and you get a whole new perspective. There were things I hadn't watched in ages um, when the Writers Guild of America strike mm-hmm. right. happened. He did the show without writers. Mm. They forced him to go back to work. Comedy Central did. And same with Jon Stewart at The Daily Show. And they had to do it without writers. And watching those episodes back now are even more impressive than they were at the time. Um, it, it's pretty phenomenal to watch, you know, these full episodes and, and not just be like, oh, that one clip that everyone remembers from that one subject, but like, you know, really s- sit through, you know, entire, entire uh, segments that, you know, were not headline grabbing or anything like that. Um, As a fan of comedy um, and looking back on these, the, like, the Rapport and John Stewart show, The Daily Show, were, they're so heavily tied to, like, the daily uh, p- politics and stuff. Did you find that it was dated? Or I guess the comedy would just stand up, right? You know what's funny? You know what's really funny is, yeah, the comedy would stand up because the thing is they, they were always very good about giving context. They would set things up really well. So they would give you enough information to be able to get the joke. They wouldn't explain the full news story. They would just give you the information in a setup in order to get the joke. So you're never lost, you know. If mm-hmm. there's sometimes there'd be a reference to like Anthony Weiner or something, and you'd have to remember <laughs> what you know Weiner's Weiner. Um, but you know, for the most part, it was it it still worked. And the funny thing is, they I think it was. I think it was Tom Purcell in an interview, who's uh, executive producer and still executive producer at the Late Show, um, was saying that the 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 lifespan of news and the the life cycle of news is such that the same types of stories oh. will come back again and again, and it For actually sure. hurt their ability to do stuff because they would you know get some story about. Some, you know, racist senator somewhere, and they'd be like, hey, why don't we treat it that way or this way? And they'd be like, great, let's do it. And they'd start to plan it, and then someone would raise their hand and be like, um, guys, we did that three (laughs) years ago. And, uh, I'm sure it was Tom, he'd put it like, I hate those guys, meaning themselves years prior. (laughs) I hate those guys for doing that, uh, because they're screwing us today. It's a Um, total The Simpsons did it moment, but with your own show. That's basically (laughs) it, yeah. Um, so it became harder and harder for them to take, you know, have fresh takes on things. I mean, I think the show was still at its peak. It was getting better and better all the time. Um, 
so you know it wasn't well, it's not like it was on on it's because the tragedy of u.s politics just keeps on getting worse so the comedy <laughs> is equally high sure I, but you know also keep in mind too when he started that show bush was still in office so right. uh, you know well the jokes wrote themselves a lot of the time and... yeah they didn't they didn't i mean they never were easy about it you know it was not it was not like you know Bush choking on a pretzel was always the joke. Oh, I mean, that was more right than you know. Right now, you know Trump's hair is getting a little bit, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> starting to get a little bit, uh, uh, you know, beating a dead horse. But um, which is where he got the yeah, but, yeah. Right. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was hoping one of you would take it. I should have known you both would. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, as as far as like you know, what made me write the book was uh, the day that the news came. There had been rumors going around that like oh Colbert is being you know bandied about as a person to replace Letterman, and I didn't really believe it because you know you never believe anything you read on page six. And then it happened, and I you know I was at work, and it was just before lunch, and uh, the news came down, and it was like you know the world stopped for a minute, and I was like okay. Uh, I guess get me uh, get me interviewed by people like I guess I'm a source right now and uh, you know did a radio interview did a, a global news interview and uh, and I was like well yeah I mean I'm I'm a fucking expert like you know I'm <laughs> I've proven that I am um, so I was like well some if if somebody's gonna write a book about it it's gonna be me and if it's ever gonna happen it's gotta be right now right. Um, so for context, typically when a book is written and published, you have about 18 months. Oh, this is important for you because Nick wants to write, write. Mm -hmm. Okay. Correct. So, like write a book. so generally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So from conception to publication, 18 months is a fair amount of time. And then we had eight months. Oh, okay. Well, you had the clock ticking because this was a story that was being... It was growing super quick and stuff like that. So, like, how did that work? Did you pitch it to a pub to several publishers? Did you do you have an agent? How did it? So no, and well, yes and no. Okay. So <laughs> uh, we ended up doing it ourselves uh, at the very end of the day. Um, somebody s said to me right off the top, like, "Oh, you should self-publish," and I was like, "What kind of a loser do you think I am?" <laughs> Like, give me some goddamn credit because I'm not going to be some delusional housewife with a basement full of fucking paperbacks with shirtless men on the cover that I couldn't sell at the porn convention. I don't know. I'm taking this too far. Um, I'm going to that version. <laughs> oh, there's many of them. I can tell you where they are online uh, because I listened to a lot of their advice um, <laughs> and ignored even more of it. Uh, but uh, at first we were like, okay, if we want to do this, it has to be on an accelerated schedule. Because I knew enough about publishing at that point. Okay. Because um, it was always in my head, like, oh, I might someday write a book. So I knew enough to be able to navigate saying yes or no to ideas that came into my head for books. Um, first thing we had to do right away was write a proposal. It's a very thick document stating all of your marketing plans, all of your credentials, all of your uh, everything. So when you do a nonfiction book, you have to... You have to show that it's marketable. Yes, it, Bree, we have a question from the back of the class. Well, just to, to, I mean, it helps for people to know that you're also in marketing, so you know about yes. this kind of Yes, uh, I work stuff. in advertising by day, yeah. and I have a marketing background, and I've worked in promotions and media and all My of that goodness. stuff. Is there anything you don't do? Uh, sleep. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we did that. We put that together. 
Uh, and you have to give like what your table of contents is going to be. You have to do a sample chapter. So we quickly did like, you know, the letter R. So all the entries in the letter R. Um, so we put all of that together and that was our first step. And we put that together within three weeks. Uh, and a lot of people I talked to takes them three months. Wow. So, um, so we were impressed with ourselves in retrospect. Uh, we shopped it around to a bunch of agents. Um, and we knew, we knew that it was going to be, like, it would have to be somebody who was like, oh, we need to do this because we weren't willing to do it. Uh, we weren't willing to put it out after the show ended. Mm-hmm. It had to come out before the show was over. So uh, we, we were very firm about that. We did have some interest from someone who wanted to do it in 2015. Oh, okay. And we're like, nope, no way. Uh, and Why did they I, want to wait? Well, that's, I mean, they probably had other books that they had because, to get done. Or... Well, that's true, too. But the, the life cycle, like, you have to be willing to, like, burn the midnight oil and have all of your, all of your stakeholders do the same thing. Like, the number of people that have to be on board with doing something on an accelerated schedule. Right. Like, you know, we're talking about, like, quickie books. Like, when Kurt Cobain died, there were suddenly three books about it. And because people were buying up all of that stuff. Right. So you need to know from, you know, commercial viability standpoint that something like that is going to get snapped up. And if you aren't confident in that, you can't, like, I completely understand, especially an agent, because, you know, we were going directly to small publishers and also to agents to try to get a larger publisher. Uh, and we also approached Comedy Central because they have a publishing division and they told us to go to hell. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, but great. Um, so, you know, we knew that it was a long shot. Uh, and there came a point where we had to just say, like, okay, we've, we've, we've tested the waters, but we can't afford any more time to write these cover letters and send out these, you know, because yeah, everyone wants it. Very time consuming. Everyone wants a different yeah. format of, of, you know, not necessarily a proposal, but they want to know certain things. And, you know, it got to a point where, you know, we just weren't willing to spend the time. Um, so you got to the poetically beautiful point of shitting or getting off the pot. Well, we continued to, as we were pitching it, we continued writing. And we, yeah. so we, it was like. So you're like, we're shitting. <laughs> well, from we had made the decision even before we started making the proposal. Oh, you're like this is gonna happen. We don't. One way or another, we awesome. have, we're doing this. Cool. So there was no question there. Like I, you know, I don't half-ass things, um, <laughs> <laughs> ever. So uh, yeah, it was either we're gonna do this with help or we're gonna do this with no help. Hmm. So uh, we did it with no help, and uh, basically from yeah from April until November. We, uh, we wrote, I was at home constantly writing. I'd get home from work on Friday. I would write all weekend long. I'd go into work on Monday. It would be a beautiful summer weekend. People would go, how was your weekend? And I'd be like, I'm glad I'm back. (laughs) What's your writing day like? Are you like, you wake up, what time? And then do you just hit the book right away? Like the typewriter, the keyboard, the longhand? (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. Longhand. Can you imagine? Um, no, I'd, uh, just hit the, hit the entries right away. I'd, I'd, you know, decide which one I was going to tackle. We tried to do it, um, chapter by chapter. Um, and, uh, yeah, just try to, you know, start at A and then go all the way through. How many hours a day were you doing it? Well, it was any time that I was home so it was most evenings and then every weekend basically i and this was also the same summer that i remounted my solo show at the winnipeg fringe festival <laughs> so my two weeks of vacation were were spent 
in Winnipeg doing my show. I had one day off, spent it at the cottage working on the book. Oof. So I you have zero chill. Yeah, basically. No chill. So I was, you know, that spring I was rehearsing my show. I was working on the book. I was working full time. Uh, I really had. You know, very little, and and I started working out with a trainer a few times a week right before this all happened. So I was like, yeah. it was I was kind of running on empty, but it's that kind of thing. It's interesting because uh, Colbert's been interviewed about writing uh, their first book, I'm America, and so can you, and how they were at the office every night until like one in the morning, um, and you know that was very normal. And he was just burning the midnight oil, and it it isn't until you stop that you really realize how fucked up you've made your body and your life. Yeah. Uh, if you just keep going and you don't think about it and you don't breathe and you just go, 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 go. It's the minute you stop that you, you're, you're, your uh, immune system just like, all right, fuck, I'm taking a break. Well, yeah. And I mean, I went home for Christmas, uh, you know, after the Colbert finale was in December. So the book came out in November, was continuing to promote it through December. I was doing media. I was doing, you know, press the day after all of that stuff. And, you know, I was on NPR and like (laughs) telling myself not to cry while I was on the radio, um, the morning after. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was when I went home to my parents' place and I had one TV interview and then the next day, I was just like, I'm not moving off of this couch. Did you get sick? I didn't right away, no. Okay. I think I got Because I feel like, like it's sort of reminiscent of like when you're at school during like essay season, where yeah. you're just like pumping them out and pumping them up. And then all of a sudden, it's like you go home for Christmas, and it's just like, well, this is me. I just fall apart. Yeah, uh, so same. And I've heard Kevin Smith talk about when he does his movies and stuff, when he finished rapping and everything like that, when like the creative, uh, everyone just hammering it is done and like all the diseases you would have caught up <laughs> yeah come to you yeah and i mean with colbert with that same first book oh. he fell he fell on set at that night's taping he put the book to bed uh-huh. and ran around the set and slipped and he fell and he broke his wrist oh my god uh and uh so that was as soon as he put the book to bed he broke his wrist and did he do it in character <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what you're asking me right now. Uh, they used it on the show, though. So if you ever watched, had oh watched my... the show, you would know that they used it on the show because he had a cast on for weeks. Um, but he actually went home to South Carolina and built a boat with his son with a broken wrist because he didn't want to go. Uh, he didn't want to go to the doctor, so he built a boat. And two weeks later, he, he didn't want to be on vacation. Uh, to be fair, our dad once uh, went on drop zone when he had broken ribs. So something about men. I don't know. That's what I so so here's here I'm gonna drop this in the conversation. That's exactly what I said to Stephen's wife. Uh, <laughs> like, what is it with guys and the doctor? Because uh, we ended. I was standing talking to them, and uh, Stephen was like, "Oh yeah, I don't know how it came up, but the wrist came up." I was like, "Yeah, what? You built a boat with that wrist?" <laughs> and I I turned to her. I was like, "What is it with guys? And don't True. go." Yeah. Uh, you go to the doctor. I go to the doctor just because it's like I just want to make sure this is not going to be a permanent damage situation. Right. Also, uh, Catherine is very oh, doctor. Yeah, yeah. If you have. If you have a woman in your life, uh, then you're more likely to go to the doctor. <laughs> this isn't sexist. This is pure fact. Like, men who have wives or significant others live longer, and I think it's because their their uh, their partners are telling them to go to the doctor. <laughs> you should get that checked out. No, no, I always have this stabbing feeling in my left uh, wrist. <laughs> How many times have you met Stephen? Uh, I think five. Four or five. 
Um, I mean, only one of those was a significant Tell us about why it was significant. Well, because it was like five minutes long as opposed to like less than a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but it was actually kind of, it was, in retrospect, it was ridiculous. Um, I know you, I wrote a note about it on my Facebook that I know you've, you've read, Brie, but uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was in New York. I was at a fundraiser for the Montclair Film Festival the night before where uh, Stephen interviewed Steve Carell on stage live. And uh, so I spent the rest of the weekend in New York City, decided at the last minute uh, that uh, I was going to go and do standby for a show at UCB that was sold out. It was uh, Saturday night. I uh, get my coffee and I'm standing in the standby line and I look ahead of me and I see this profile uh, <laughs> and and I thought, oh, and this was at the very end of writing the book. I had just finished the book and I thought, oh, oh, it's finally happened. I've started hallucinating him. Uh, I knew this was coming, you know, I'll have to get some help. Uh, I'll take, I will take the spitting of the drink as a huge compliment. Thank you. Spit take. Spit take there, but not to waste beer, spit it back in the can. Spit Economical spit take. And uh, before I knew it, you know, my legs were moving and I headed on up to him. And I opened that conversation with, Hi Steven, sorry to interrupt, I just wanted to let you know you were great last night. <laughs> So I could have planned that better with his wife standing right there. Uh, He's a good Catholic man. Yes, yes. Uh, And so, yeah, we, uh, you know, I just shot the shit with him and his wife. Talked about the film festival because they're both very involved in the film festival there. Um, Talked about the event the night before. Talked about Corral. Um, you know, I'd have to look back at my notes to uh, remember how the rest of it went, but it was kind of funny because uh, near the end of the conversation, uh, it was kind of like, oh, by the way, I wrote a book about you. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't have been like, you wouldn't have been able to not. You you wouldn't have been able to live yeah, with yourself. Yeah. You well, tell I, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, my co-author and I, we, you know, we had already planned to, uh, and actually, we had just done it that day, uh, put together. Uh, books with little notes for every one of the staff people who are mentioned in the book. So any other writers, any of the crew who are like name checked in the book, gave them a copy. Um, we were like, does Stephen need like he's down to the last three weeks of his show? And we're like, do we need to bother him with this? Um, so you know, because I knew other people on staff knew that the book was happening, right. but we assumed that Stephen did not. Um, so uh, I mentioned it to him and I said, you know, we were gonna just send it to Amy, who's his assistant. Uh, you know, with a note saying like, if you think this, <laughs> if you think this is a good idea for him right now, please give it to him, and if not, just give it to an intern to trade <laughs> for food or something. Um, and so, you know, I mentioned to him, he's like, oh, I'd love to see it, I'd love to see it. You know, please send it. So, uh, so we did, and uh, his assistant confirmed that he received it. But uh, I haven't had a chance to. Uh, I shouldn't say I haven't had a chance to talk to him since, because <laughs> I have talked to him since, um, but not been in a position to ask about the book since. So I don't, it, you know, it's been a year and a half. I don't know if he would even remember at this point. Uh, but uh, yeah, I hope he liked it. It's, uh, you know, it's sort of a, a love letter to the show. So, um, you know, hopefully it's, you know. I had a one, uh, uh, the Simpsons I would be when I was a kid. It was mostly pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is definitely not mostly pictures no. because Comedy Central wouldn't even allow us to license photography from them. Oh, wow. Once again, go to hell. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I like the way you did that. Like, you mentioned it 
at the end because that way it doesn't make it all I don't know weird and businessy that's in the like I love your work so much and then you you like added the frosting of the cherry on the cake it's like I've I've done art based on your art that would have felt amazing to hear yeah I mean I hope so I mean I hope that the actual art that I do that is inspired by his art would be more meaningful I kind of it must know, be amazing well I I god I hope so I mean, the thing that he's had to, you know, he's encountered a lot over the years, especially doing political comedy, is people uh, believing that they know his intentions and sort of taking what he's done to mean something that it doesn't necessarily. Hmm. And, you know, I, I try to be aware of that in, you know, I, I kind of leave him the hell alone. Um, you know, considering how into his, you know, <laughs> into his work that I am, like it doesn't, it doesn't help him, you know, necessarily for me to say, oh, you've inspired me because of this thing that you did. Because I know that that is necessarily, like, it doesn't help him necessarily. I don't right. know if that makes any sense. It does. Because he might not have intended for it one way. That, that What matters is how it affected you and how you interpret that. Exactly. Like, right. it's, it's, you know, it has nothing to do with him and everything about me is how I always <laughs> talk about this. Um, you know, I, I obviously love, love his work, but I, as a performer and what he brings to, uh, his character, what he brings to his presence on stage and, uh, the passion that he has is, you know, very much like those are things that I have taken from him, you know, and used from my own, uh, creative growth and my own, uh, shifting career trajectory over the past decade. Um. I, he's had an, an immeasurable impact on what uh, what I've done with my life in the past 10 years. So, um, you know, how do you tell somebody that when they're essentially a stranger? Right. It, you know, you're, you're kind of taking a gamble that, A, they it helps them to know that, and B, that, you know, that it's going to help you in any way. Right. To, so is the beneficial star meeting... To just be like, hey, I'm a fan, and let them go, and not say anything? I don't know. I mean, it is it is kind of... I, I'm torn on it, because I keep wanting to, you know, find a way to communicate... You know, find a way that he'll feel good about what I say. Right. And still have me feel good about, like, okay, if he gets hit by a truck tomorrow, I'll have... You know, I'll know that he, he knew that he had, you know, a positive impact on somebody doing the kind of creative work that he's always done. So. Right. So I don't know what the answer is to that. I don't know. <laughs> I got a, I have another shot at meeting him in in three weeks. So Ooh. we'll you know maybe we'll have a conversation then, or I'll just tell his wife and she can go tell him. Uh, well, that being said, talk about your uh, the you said you're shift you're shifting you're shifting your uh, position on what you're doing with your life. You're not journalisming anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I definitely made a very gradual shift into doing creative work, uh, almost exclusively. And I, you know, I've gone back and forth on it. Um, and I've, I've sort of tried to balance both, but now I'm like, okay, I have to really hit the creative stuff harder. Um, I got to do a bit of creative work in my day job. Uh, I would like to be able to do more. Uh, I seem to be able to, you know, be doing less and less. You know, the more I get, you know, promoted, they give me, like, important things to do instead <laughs> yeah. of coming up with stupid puns. Um, <laughs> but I like, I like coming up with stupid puns. Uh, 
<laughs> so, you know, whatever. You should meet our mom. <laughs> oh, God. She's a pun generator without trying. It's Amazing. Awesome. She's pretty say, fun. Yeah, and then we'll laugh and she'll be like, what? Uh, <laughs> great. Uh... So yeah, I've I've just been you know I've been you know working on a pilot script because everybody's working on a pilot script. Oh, like an original or a, oh, an original. Yeah, yeah. Cool. it's been that I, I keep meaning to be like, oh this weekend I'll finish it. No, a comedy. Um, what of kind? course, half yeah, hour? yeah, half hour. Cool. What are you? What is this face you're making? This, a pilot script. How can it not be original? I don't understand. I well, you're right. I don't oh, know. because okay, I, sorry, I, heard, sorry. I heard script. Oh, and you thought. And as I was asking my question, I realized she said pilot and not. All right, just sorry. I would script. laugh, but wouldn't it be great well, to, could to it write a, wrote the to, pilot <laughs> for another show? Yeah. Wait, you can't do an unoriginal, not unoriginal, but it could be like you know how uh, Fr- Fraser. Right. Yeah. I'm like writing he... an unoriginal Fraser. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I meant. I mean, it's not a totally original idea, Fraser, because it's built on a character from another show. So that's how you could be writing. Oh, okay. But no, then you're saying it's unoriginal, saying. so that's <laughs> brutally offensive. No, no, I would love to see the pilot, though, for a show that was like the episode before Friends premiered, right? Oh. Like what would happen the day before <laughs> Rachel left her <laughs> to be husband at the altar. Um, so writing pilot, uh, I'm, you know, trying to make a point of any time I come up with an idea to actually say yes to it. That is a, that is a Stephen Colbert lesson, uh, trademarked, uh, no, um, just, you know, come up with, you know, if I think of something, just do it. Um, I did that recently. Is that like, is that very different from sort of in your nature? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh God. Um, Absolutely. I I let fear stop me from doing stuff all... I mean, not as much anymore, but... Uh, Did you read The Artist's Way? No, The War of Art. Shit. What book what am I talking about? about? I, I don't know. What book? The Artist's the Way... The War of Art. Okay. It's all about battling that fear. He calls it resistance, but it's all, like, done... Like, you know, The Art of War? That... Okay, well, why do I need it if I have had Stephen Colbert for the last ten years? That's what she... Okay, fine. <laughs> Stephen Colbert is your... Is no, your, your, your art, art of war. war. <laughs> but it is uh, often, you know, coming up against like, oh, I don't know how to do this. And right. trying to tra- and having trained myself to not give a shit and do it anyway. Well, it seems like you've been doing that your whole life, right? Well, not my whole life. No, absolutely not. But not like, until... your journalism, though. Like, you're like, well shit man i'm gonna do this comedy writing thing you know what i mean like you, you had to figure out how to do that and you did that you know like so a lot of people would be like i really like this comedian i wish i could interview them like just the way you're talking about that like well you know comedians are so accessible it's like how would like nick couldn't walk up to mark maron and do the interview that you did with well him. I, I couldn't i couldn't but I couldn't walk up to Mark Marin right now and do the interview that I did uh, because Mark and I aren't friends anymore. Oh, no. Uh, well, he's kind of a grumpy man. To sure say the least, yeah. Do you guys need to talk it over on an episode? I, I already have emails in my inbox okay. and ask me, are we good? Uh, and, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> he's going to geek out. He just fanboyed. That's amazing. <laughs> But that would be true of anything, like any career. Like, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not saying I was a very good interviewer in those early years either. Like, I was very timid and had, like, you know, had my list of questions and I never, I and <laughs> never deviated this from This is them. a sign of timidity? Shit. No, you're prepared. <laughs> yeah. Preparedness. You're deviating from it, so it's fine. But I would be like, <laughs> I'd be, you know, I'd be, you know, not, um, 
you know, just not very, you know, flexible and not confident. And, you know, I was a typical student journalist, you know, very meekly asking questions, the big famous person. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it's the same as, you know, how do you get any job? How do you get, I don't think it was, you know, it, it wasn't easy, but so is, you know, having a job interview for anything. Yeah. You just got to do it. Yeah. yeah, So it's, it's a good point. you, You have to survive. Um, but you know, I, I definitely, you know, was very inspired by what, uh, I saw of Colbert the first time I saw him live on stage anywhere. Um, and I had been watching him for years on the daily show and, and and didn't really, you know, I knew he was funny, but you know, so, so tons of people on TV are funny. (laughs) Um, and it wasn't until I saw him in front of an audience and watched the level at which he connected with people. What was that like? That was amazing. It blew my mind and changed my life. Uh, I wouldn't be here right now if that if I had not been in Montreal that July. So uh, he did a panel at Just for Laughs, and um, the way that he engaged with it, like he was so excited to be connecting with all of these people, and I I was so excited to see that. Like that's something that's important to me. Like yeah. from what my my feelings about what comedy is and and how important connection is. Um, and I often feel like ego gets in the way of making those connections in a pure way. When I saw him on stage, I very much felt like I was watching my ideals of what comedy is reflected back to me. And oh I'd, my god, that's awesome. I had never seen that before. Did your brain explode a little bit? I remember exactly where I was standing in line to, to ask my question. It was at this huge theater, um, and it was a bunch of Daily Show writers and producers, and Steven and Sandy. And, I love her. Uh, she's great. And I remember what I was wearing. I remember, <laughs> what, like, I remember everything. And I, and I was, I was actually kind of mad about it because I was, you know, in my late twenties, and I was like, no, I can't. I can't, like, be a fan of somebody new now. This can't. No, I have a life. I have a mortgage. I have, like, things. I have, like, I, no, no, don't, no, dude, don't you dare be awesome. Don't you, oh, you motherfucker. Um, and then. Earning the E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in the year subsequent to that, you know, he started the show and he started the Colbert Report and I got very into it and you know it was a little I was one of those people who at the very beginning was like great idea not gonna last um <laughs> thank goodness uh the especialthing.com forums got wiped out because the evidence of me saying that uh went, went with it. <laughs> um but uh and then I went to a taping actually the following summer and uh I was doing a radio show at the time as well um and uh interviewed the audience coordinator for my radio show and I was down there and I went to a taping the same day um so you know it was very cool in retrospect to have gotten to see backstage in the green rooms and all that stuff because I never would have gotten into you know once the show got huge I never would have been able to but uh you know when I when I was sitting in the audience and he came out and was in front of the audience again like I tried to convince myself that I oh maybe I was just imagining (laughs) things maybe I can shake this and whatever and he came out and I was like Ah, fuck, he loves us. God damn it. Uh, And it wasn't like he loves us because we love him. It was like he just loved this moment, and he loved creating whatever it was between us and him. And that's the part of comedy that I'm passionate about, 
so uh yeah that that was it i was that was screwed (laughs) (laughs) that sounds awesome 10 years and a book later and uh all what should have been my retirement savings to go down there all the time just yesterday booked flights to go to the montclair film festival um and well he's doing he's hosting a couple of panels uh and then there's a like an opening night party that my friends are going to and I, I crashed with a friend of mine lives uh, in the town as well, so and you can crash on her floor. And I mean, the other thing is, our generation's never going to really retire anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So you're, you're fine. Um, that's true. It's not mortgaging your future. He works in finance. <laughs> <laughs> that leads me to asking you somehow about <laughs> improv. Yes. And how you got into improv, or back into improv, I should say. Well, into improv and then back and into then back improv. Into improv. Yeah. Ooh, this is like Tolkien-esque now. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> to improv and back again. <laughs> that is wiser than you realize. Uh, but um, I always actually loved watching improv. Um, yeah, Bree just pointed to the front of the book. Uh, anyway. Uh, oh, <laughs> Tolkien. Awesome. <laughs> this is going to make no sense to anybody listening. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you have to buy the book to see what's oh, on the cover. Gonna, see what he... That's going to go all over our website. And... We'll put the Amazon link. Yeah. Amazon.ca link. Well, we dot com the... link. I don't remember. You can also buy it at Chapters, so, you know, chapters. there's that too. <laughs> that's much um, anyway, uh, I had always enjoyed watching improv. Uh, I used to go to improv shows uh, as part of the Winnipeg Fringe Festival back in the 90s. Um, I loved were watching... Were crumbs there back then? Uh, yeah, they were. They were yeah. What's that? Is that a true? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, it's just crumbs on the ground. Uh, <laughs> it could have been a club. I was thinking a club or a tree. No, anyone from uh, Great I, Object Work. Uh, I uh, who did I used to see? I used to see uh, Green Eggs and Ham improv. I used to see Twisted Nipple improv. <laughs> um, and the uh, anyone from Winnipeg listening? Uh, top floor of Mother Tucker's uh, downtown, which uh, no longer exists. Anyway, uh, that's part of Winnipeg lore that uh, I'm, you know, gladly old enough to have experienced. Um, and uh, loved the British version of Whose Line. Was super into that show. Um, and was like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. And never thought I would, like, just never ever. It was like, that's fucking magic, even though I kind of get how it works, but that's magic. I will never be able to do that. Um and uh thanks a lot colbert uh you know sort of uh me realizing that taking cues from him uh was probably a good idea uh i took my first improv class in the summer of 2007 i was still living in winnipeg at the time used my vacation Uh, i was going to new york anyway took an extra week and uh took an intensive at ucb Oh, nice. And my teachers were Bobby Moynihan, who's... Oh, the- my God! <laughs> oh, he just oh, came. Oh, I love Moynihan so much. Do you need paper towels? Uh, we don't have okay. any. We, I, toilet paper. There's toilet paper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, Bobby Moynihan uh, and Lennon Parham, who... Oh, my... No, wait. No, she, uh, Comedy Bang Bang and uh, Plain House... Um, and uh, she was amazing too. So they co-taught. Oh, uh, it was awesome. And so yeah, the first time I was ever on an improv stage to perform was at the UCB main stage. Uh, no big is, thing. Yeah, no, no big <laughs> That's deal. That's fine. Um, and me and my friend uh, Sue were uh, in a mathlete 
club. Like, that's all I remember. Oh, that's your scene. Okay. That's our scene. No, uh, and, and uh, Sue is doing really great in New York. Sue Smith, she's uh, an improviser and, and stand-up. And uh, my class also had uh, Lauren Adams in it, who is uh, on uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people did really well out of that class. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, super nerve wracking cause oh. like I did not, like, obviously I did not know what I was doing. Um, I obviously, you know, it was, a, it was because Did you just it, have to make it up as you went along then? Yeah, weirdly. <laughs> uh, it, I was in a room full of people who were actors and on our breaks they would talk about their headshots and <laughs> I, like I had no performing aspirations at all. It was for the sake of doing it, which really is how this has continued to be. You know, I, I obviously have more goals now and, and, you know, somewhat of an end game, but it's more writing related. But performance-wise, I don't have an end game. I'm doing it because it's worth doing. I'm doing it because it's hard. It scares you a bit. It's scary, and it's hard, and it's still hard, and it's, you know, I push myself to do more things that are even harder. Because I think that's worth doing, and again, that's a thanks, thanks a lot, Colbert. Um, <laughs> thousands of dollars later of classes, um, but so I did that, and then uh, I went back to Winnipeg in that fall. I took a class with the Crumbs, oh, cool. uh, and uh, Steve and Lee were amazing, and then moved to Toronto um, in the new year in two thousand eight. Went down to New York to do my 201 at UCB. So you can take a bit of a break between your classes at UCB? Yeah, I mean, I think the maximum they'll let you take is like a year. Okay, um, and I think part of, that, part of that is because it's so impossible to register for classes. Right. Like, not, it wasn't then. Um, like, I could just sit and wait and decide to take a class whenever I wanted. Um, but I uh, did that, and then uh, took some writing classes at the Pit that were amazing. At the People's Improv theater okay yeah um, i thought i've heard of it before yeah. well, maybe now you've you heard me. of it again yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> and um did that and then when i sort of settled here i uh, started taking classes at bad dog and at itc inpatient okay. rest in peace oh, okay i don't know that one it doesn't exist anymore. Inpa yeah, That's inpatient doesn't exist enough. anymore. We've had, yeah, we've talked about I'm, it. I'm sure with, everybody, with Catherine last time anyone yeah, yeah. over the age of 30 in the city has <laughs> experience with ITC. Um, you know, it was, it was uh, I had some good teachers there. You know, I had, you know, Matt Foliot and Brian right. Davidson and awesome. uh, really good people there. Um, Bad Dog was cool because uh, what at the time was four levels of foundation, your teacher could actually follow you through the entire mm -hmm. thing. So I had Sean Browning, who was amazing. Oh. Um, he doesn't do a lot of stuff uh, around town in, as much anymore, but uh, just a wonderful dude and great teacher. Um, and did, yeah, did like, you know, some intermediate stuff and was doing, you know, student shows with ITC, doing like the student shows on Tuesdays at Comedy Bar. And then I was just like, you know what, I'm kind of like, I'm kinda, it's kind of a lot of time. And like, they wanted you to re-audition to be on the student teams. And, I, and then I rolled my eyes just like you rolled your eyes just now, Brie. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know what, I don't like, I don't need to go and prove that I am just as good as I was three months ago. So I'm going to maybe take a break from this. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll just take a bit of a break because I started working on my solo show at that time. And then, you know, I was like, I'll take a couple months, and then a couple months became four years. So I didn't do any improv for four years. and That's a big no but. <laughs> <laughs> it 
Wow, you put me in my place. <laughs> I found a joke and I went with it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was the right thing to do. Good call. Um, and when uh, I, I was kind of doing some alongside writing my book uh, I was doing some soul searching sort of as far as like but like in all seriousness like I, I spent this year like I spent 2014 um, being very busy um, and doing a lot of things that I knew that I could accomplish I knew that I could do this book and do it well because you know with given enough time and enough money to put up for you know paying for the editor uh, and we didn't get to this before, but we did, you know, we self-published, so I paid for an editor to, you know, run the copy. I paid for the design. I, I paid for an uh, interior um, layout guy. Uh, I, you know, I, I fronted the money for all that. So, you know, with the number of hours that I could, and I knew I had the writing skills, I knew I could do it. There was no surprise that I could do it um, with my resources. And I remounted my uh, solo show in Winnipeg. And it was a show that I had done in multiple cities already in previous years, and I knew I could do it, and it was not... You Where know, else did you do it? Because I thought you, I did, you did it Yeah, here. I did it, I mean, I did it here. Uh, I did it here at a smaller festival, and then I did it here at the, at the Fringe in 2012. Oh also gosh, did it that in, was what I thought. Yeah, and I did it <sighs> in uh, Hamilton, in London, and Victoria. Nice. And then Winnipeg was the last place. Um, Wait, Victoria, so, BC? Yeah. Wow, fun. Eh, yeah, no, no. yeah, no, it was good. Okay. Uh, it was, it was a lovely, lovely town. Uh, the city's lovely. The fringe that year was not uh, yeah. very healthy. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I it was it was a year of like being very busy, being somewhat productive, but not doing anything that I felt was really pushing me in a significant way. And I had I was spending a lot of time. Um, you know, do, you know, I was writing about Colbert a lot and especially in that year a lot. I thought, okay, like realistically, you know, I, I claim a lot about like, okay, he's, he's pushed me and influenced me and motivated me to do certain things in my life. But you know, what have I let him do for me lately? You know, to paraphrase <laughs> Janet Jackson, what have I let him do for me lately? Um, you no, know, but I was, I, you know, I was doing all this stuff and he was about to go off the air and I wasn't going to, you know, have him uh, for nine months. I wasn't going to have his influence. I wasn't going to have, you know, his... Watch him daily. Yeah, uh, and, I, you know, I was going to be going to tapings. You know, I'd get a lot of energy and motivation out of watching him perform when I'd go to tapings. That's why I went all the time. You did uncover that picture of him with his beard first, I think. Oh, I was at first. I have a network of people who notify. <laughs> of all no, the people, I my know. my phone my phone like buzzes in meetings at work all the time, and I'm like, it's just a Colbert emergency. It's nothing. <laughs> Someone's just informing me of his whereabouts. It's okay, uh, and I wish that was a joke. Um, I can tell you where he's gone on every vacation. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable um, now. Yeah, I know. I I feel weird about it too. Um, <laughs> But uh, you seem to have a really good time in Bermuda. But, uh, this isn't Bahamas, helping. <laughs> no, anyway. Uh, but no, it was like, how am I going to spend this time? How, how is the best, what is the best way for me to spend, you know, the next nine months, you know, if I were to have even two hours per week that I would have spent watching the show, how am I going to spend this time wisely? And how can I sort of prove to myself that he has been as big of an influence as I claim he is? Uh, so, you know, first thing right off the bat, get back into improv, have to do that. So, uh, I went to Wheel of Improv, 
uh, did a shitty scene that, thank God, Rob Norman saved, uh, and, and, and we'll circle back to Rob in a minute, um, and, and I failed in front of Colin Mockery, and that was, you know, I was there, you were there, you were there that night, and, and it was fine, and, uh, I survived it, and so I chalked that up as a win because you know one of the That's things. That's a badge I, of honor. Well, in front of Colin Mockery. Sure, I mean one of the things. Another Colbert, say it was a terrible scene, but I was there. It was a fine. It was. Scene. It was just a fine scene, but I know. I know my bad habits, and I fell into all of them. Um, so you know, there's another Colbert lesson: is embracing failure, and and uh, you know he talks a lot about that. So I was like, okay, great, embracing this. This did not kill me, um, and. Uh, yeah, just continue, you know, writing things I wanted to do, um, you know, started working on that pilot, um, and, and just, you know, everything that came up in my brain of, you know, to do, I just said yes to everything. Uh, so by the end of the year, um, well, you know, I guess within a year, uh, I had auditioned and gotten into Long Form Con in Second City with Rob Norman, uh, <laughs> appropriately bookending the year. Uh, auditioned and got into short form studio at Bad Dog. Who was your uh, teacher there? Uh, oh, you had Chris Kibbs for a while. Was that it? was earlier. Okay. Uh, uh, we just started short form studio okay. last term. So oh, Chris, okay. Chris was in earlier. That was like, I was taking refresher classes. Was that the audition that you and I did together then? The short form one? Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. Well, it's the only audition we did at Bad Dog together, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that was that. But I was in audition because it was for short form and something else. It was for everything. The same yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. So that, yes, that would have been. Okay, cool. Uh, and so got into that and, uh, you know, got an idea for a stupid sketch and filmed that. Oh! Thanks to, thanks with some help from Bree as our unofficial <laughs> assistant producer. Uh, why don't you talk to us about that? Yeah, why don't we talk about that? Um, well, you know, I had an idea before Christmas of, uh, you know, how Donald Trump's campaign seems like it was made to be oh, purposely... Check. Checking, oh, off his list. checking it off his list of questions. I am looking forward to hearing about this part. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, figured like it seemed like Donald, Donald Trump's campaign was being run by somebody who wanted it to fail, but it was backfiring. <laughs> uh-huh. And I had never seen the stage show or the movie, but I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like the producers. And uh, I thought, well, like, like that would be a, you know, that would be a funny parody of a, you know, trailer or something. I was like, well, but I don't have a video camera. I don't have, and I sort of put it in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna, but it stayed with me because I was like, oh, I need, I should be saying yes to these things. <laughs> um, and, uh, it wasn't until, uh, yeah, it was in the new year, but I saw that Matthew Broderick was going to be on Colbert and, there had been times where I had, um, I was uh, writing for another uh, topical show and there were times where I'd come up with an idea and then it, I'd, it would end up being the same thing that the Colbert people came up with, of course. Sensibilities are pretty much the same. So I was like, oh, you know, they're probably going to do something with him. And so I waited for that to air and then, and I didn't. And I was like, Okay, it's well, mine. I guess it's mine now. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, uh, yeah, I got some help, got some <laughs> space, got some actors. I wrote the script. Uh, I paid for it all. Um, and we did a one minute and 17 second uh, parody trailer of the producers if they were uh, behind the Trump campaign. Uh, and, yeah, it was good. I was happy with it. It was fine. And... Um, put it out there, tried to get people to watch it. Most people didn't watch it. Oh, previous fun tie-in. 
your director, yes, Dan Rosen, who has been on the podcast, yeah. a special guest. There we go. Oh. Uh, a relationship facilitated by Bree Watson, co-host yes. of this program. Yeah, you would message me. You're like, should I do this? And I was like, yes. And, <laughs> and as I as I'm talking right now, I have a glass of white wine in my hand, which is appropriate because you were half right. in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I want to do this thing. Should I do it? And you I had already started... like messaged like everybody. I was like, yeah, I, I know Dan. He'll direct it. Uh, he'll get Georgie to like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so like, fun. Who do I know that's actor? Yeah, oh, I was like, hold on, hold on. I can't believe there's so much connection to this sketch that I didn't even know was there. <laughs> yeah. And I just I'm learned so... about it from the CBC. And I watched it. It's like, oh shit, those people have a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we, um, we made it. I put it out there. It was hard to get anyone to watch it, you know. Um, it didn't get a lot of views. And then uh, exactly a month later, <laughs> uh, I actually, I'd wa- here, here's what happened. Um, you know, I don't watch the other talk shows anymore because, you know, I just don't, I can't spend the time. I'll watch clips online the next day. I also can't but, stand Kim. But one thing, but one I've thing, never been a, whatever. But one thing uh, I will do every year is record the Kimmel after Oscar episode ah, because okay. it is always phenomenal. And I had been sick and I, you know, made it through the Oscar telecast and I'm like, no, I'm just DVRing this and going to bed. Well, go to bed. Couldn't sleep. I turn over. I grab my phone. I'm looking at Twitter and I just, the, I see the words Kimmel Trump, Broderick, uh, producers, and just everything kind of becomes a blur, and I'm like, no, 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 Oh my god. So to give you a sense, to give you a sense of how fucking long their version of my, my idea was, I read that tweet in bed, got up, put the TV on, and the sketch was still on. It was still going. So I will say the one thing that I did better uh, <laughs> was fucking edit. Um, but but, um, but it was so bizarre. It was obviously the premise. They obviously got uh, got Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane to reprise their roles from Broadway and from the, the remake of the movie. Um, and what, were, Gene Wilder wasn't available? So they, uh, <laughs> yeah. He's not dead. Don't Is he you? doing no, okay? He's fine. He's, he's, he's fine. Okay, cool. It's okay, calm down. <laughs> All right. Um, but it was the exact same premise, and some of the lines were almost identical, and it was oh. very surreal to watch. Now, and, and, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, as part of this, put Brie on the spot, but, uh, I was, like, I was fucking livid too because I knew at that point that mine was dead I was like no one else is ever going to watch mine like because we still had hope well you got that one wrong well we <laughs> had still had hope that like oh maybe the right person will see it the right person will retweet it maybe it'll get some traction because it was I could not convince my friends to even watch it like oh. you, you think that I you watched it you, yeah you did but <laughs> I like, shared it you would think that people would spend like one minute <laughs> it was literally a minute of their time to watch something that you yeah. you know have they made and people in it like even God. like like Josh Murray knows everybody in the community yeah you know, yeah so Keller, between yeah. everybody like everybody who was in it and involved in it has these huge networks and like no one could give two fucks <laughs> so you know at that point because you know the reason I wanted to do it and then get it out fast I once I decided to do it and it was like the book like okay we're gonna do this well we're gonna work really fast yeah you got a window 
Um, I mean, that, I, that campaign could have fallen apart at any point as well. <laughs> well, not just that, not just that, but um, also, too, I thought, well, somebody else will have this idea. Yeah, the zeitgeist And, and so I, I thought, well, like, I want to be the first out with it yeah. before the version of me in Portland <laughs> does yeah. it and gets it out. Never imagining it would be, oh, no, the version of me 100 Was times more Kimmel. famous <laughs> in Los Angeles. Um, and so... Uh, I was, you know, I was so upset because I was like, well, like, mine's dead. Like, I've wasted my time. Um, and I... Just time, but money. Okay, too, yeah. yeah, and money. Yeah, that too. Um, and so, yeah, I was kind of pissed off. And I was watching the views go up and up and reach the millions that they uploaded natively on Facebook. And it, it reached, like, 10 million very easily. Um, their YouTube is not as many. But, um, yeah, I was, I was really upset about it. And, you know, thankfully having some press contacts... Um, I was like, well, the only thing I can do is go to the media. Like, go to the media, which is go what, to the media. what every crackpot says about everything. <laughs> uh, but you have the advantage the of having the actual work speak for yourself. Well, well, but work doesn't speak for itself. Nobody sees it. So um, I got to see it. I mean, like, if it hits me as somebody who's well, No, but it didn't. It would not have. If you so, had gone out. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. But it wouldn't have. So I, like, what I'm trying to say is, if I didn't have the media contact, so the oh, person, yeah, yeah, yeah. the editor at the National Post is someone who interviewed me for a job three years ago, mm. and I was down to being one of the person that didn't get it, which worked out actually okay. Um, <laughs> and then um, the, the my Toronto Star contact um, was my old editor who has since moved out of the entertainment department, um, and who I ran into at Comedy Bar not 10 days beforehand and said, he said to me, if there's anything you ever want covered, contact me. <laughs> me! <laughs> so that is one of those things where it's a luxury where I have, you know, someone who will say, hey, if you want a story written about something you do, tell me and I'll do my best. So he passed me on to the, per you know, the people who are in charge of entertainment now and, you know, they end up being a great story. Because of those two stories, those stories didn't come out until the following Thursday. Because of those, now I have more views. Now I still only have 7,000 views. No. It's not, it's still not really much of anything, but right. I'll take it. But I got the press out of it, which I can use for my visa. But yeah, and, so, you know, and that story might not have gotten coverage at, at the same time if the story hadn't been written a couple, what, months ago that sketch that Jeremy Woodcock had written for 22 minutes that they yeah. did on yeah. SNL. That was yeah. like a year ago. Yeah, that was that was actually cited in both articles. And actually, I went to him. For, he was one of the first people I reached out to. I was like, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and mm. so he didn't have a lot of advice for me. But, like, I definitely... Um, I, I learned from him. And I've learned, you know, and I learned from others how to handle this, you know, aside from my initial, like, oh, fuck you, Kimmel. Um, it, you know, when something like this happens, and this is where I put you on the spot, you kind of have to sit back and let everybody else fight on your behalf. Because you cannot say, and as it turned out with this, and this was a wise thing, it, these bits were a month apart, and I know... A month is not very much time, given, you know, Eddie and Scaled and how, you know, getting actors together and getting things to get. A month is not a very long time to produce something. It is in our world. It is not in their world. Right. So uh, I, I knew that, and I knew, 
you know, even though the bits were almost identical in some respects, I knew it was likely a crazy coincidence. I would have loved for it to have been, you know, the, you know, the, the dream is like, oh yeah, they ripped me off and they're going to get like blah, blah, blah. But I knew that that was very unlikely. You don't get to a point of writing for Kimmel or being Kimmel right. if you are ripping people off. You just right. don't. People have, you know, they police it. So, you know, people who were fighting on my behalf, you know, uh, I had relatives, I had other friends, I had you, like, you know, being a lot more vocal about it than I could be. I couldn't be vocal. But I if think I, I did call a couple bullshit, though. Like, when they were like, when they're like, oh, we had the idea, like, a month before, and we were just putting the time in, in producing it or whatever, and I was like, fuck off, <laughs> come See? on, yeah. So I have to sit, I, I have to sit back and let you say that. Okay. Because I can't say it. Right. Even if I believed it, I can't say it. But I know a month is not a very long time, and it would be very easy to confirm what day that they shot that. They, like, it would be very hard produced, to lie. Nowadays, though, like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's certainly different in Canada, too. But you know what I mean? It doesn't take as long to produce something now that it, than it used to. Yeah, I know, but to get digital, Broderick and Lane. Sure. But I mean, like... I don't know. Like, it's, I'm sure there weren't negotiations that long. It, like, but it's not. No, it's not even negotiations. Yeah. No, they shot it two. We shot two days apart. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. So that's what that turned out to be. Oh, okay. So imagine if I had said, "Bullshit, right, bullshit, right, 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 you right, can right. do it faster." Bullshit. How would I look right now? Right. I have to let everyone else say that for me. Okay. Well, so, I said it. <laughs> you, yes, you did. <laughs> Um, but like I, I, I've seen so often, you know, through my work in journalism and just through, you know, being friends with enough comics and watching people go from young, naive comic to <laughs> experienced comics, um, who've experienced parallel thinking to a degree where you're like, oh, that can't be an accident. Right. I've seen people make accusations and it almost never works out well at all right. because you know, unless it's a piece of written material that you know that that other person was either in the room to see performed or you know that they, like, shared it on Facebook and then they tried to claim on Twitter that it was their thought or something right. like that. Like, unless there is a trail, it, you know, there's only so many ideas. And especially when you live in yeah. the same, especially when you live in the same city. Right. If people, you work in the same scene as people, your sensibilities are very similar. For sure. You're going to have similar perspectives. With comedy, like, the higher level, it's like a laser focus on what the funny thing is to any particular subject. And basically what's that, what, what, what it's saying is, like, you have the same super sharp comedic focus as professional writers in Hollywood for Kimmel Show. Or... Sure, yeah, that feels, that feels really good. I mean, it's not... It's not as if it is... Unless they did rip you off, which would no. be totally depressing. But <laughs> It would be totally depressing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that it, you know, turned out to just be He also thinking. has so much money to put into, like, a, the kind of budget that would be able to promote this and put it all over the place. Sure, yeah, well, they... Too, you know what yeah, I mean? their, like, their social following and everything, like, mm, it, yeah. like within five minutes, they surpassed the views that I had overall. Well, yeah, I mean, um, he's, got a, he's on network TV, of course. Of like, course, <laughs> and it's their biggest show of the year. Their biggest right, show of the right. year is their post-Oscar show. They do it on a Sunday night, and it's 
always amazing and uh, and like they oh, said yeah. in their in their statement that they made about it i love that i've caused someone to make a um that it's you know many months in, in the making yeah. that episode and i i know that that's true um so yeah i mean it's great you know parallel thinking i usually i've had parallel thinking before on like you know twitter and then like i would see some late night shows monologue do the same joke i'm like yay i do a little <laughs> dance because like i'm on the same wavelength yay um but and it's it also like, what drove you to get that thing done in the first place because you sure. knew that was gonna be that was on people's radar yeah and i yeah i did not think it would become all that uh <laughs> and i didn't think but also too you know you're talking about his budget and his all of that yeah. stuff you know i think that almost is a detriment because I, you know, in a lot of ways, their finished product, like I feel it, like it was like <laughs> laugh, like laughs per minute. I kick their asses. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna lie. Like, JPM. Yeah, I, I had more in you know, mine is essentially a minute long, and I had like, I think I had four like verbal laughs, and then there was one visual that if someone paused and saw what all the books were. Um, and actually one of the, one of the books in the pile was Mark Maron's, <laughs> was Mark Maron's book. Um, <laughs> we also had a, a book of James Cameron essays, uh, and then like a whole bunch of like right wing politicians, right. uh, and stuff. But, um, but yeah, the books in the pile on the, on the sofa. Um, I mean, Broderick phoned it in too. Well, no, fine, <laughs> fine. But like they did things like, you know, when, when I didn't, I had a shot, it was basically three or four seconds of, um, of the two guys sitting back on the sofa getting ready to watch a debate, and all you hear is the voiceover, and that's my cheap-ass voice doing the voiceover. Um, so they're sitting back, and they have a, one of them has a remote in their hand, and they're holding popcorn, and that is a signal that they are watching something on television, and it is political, and they're, they're excited to see how he's going to like crash and burn. And it is like it's over in an instant. And theirs, it was like... You see a TV screen and it has a graphic on it, and then it cuts to like a, you know a news reporter, and then it cuts to footage of Trump, then it cuts to the guys. I'm just like, okay, you know, yeah, it doesn't tighten it up, guys. You can cut, they they could if they had shaved ninety <laughs> seconds off of that bit, it would have been ten times funnier than mine. Just saying. Anyway. I'm not gonna lie, I. I didn't watch the whole thing. I was like, I get it. They're singing and dancing. It's now. funny. A lot of people told me that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I it didn't felt make it flat through. to me. It, but it could have been like just a little bit of editing. It well, like been... for theirs, it was like, I get it. But, but for yours, I wanted to like listen to the jokes. You right, know what I mean? Right, yeah. So the fact that the guys well, were there, like the actual characters were there, you're kind of like, well, yeah, you know, I get it. Yeah. You don't, it's almost like you don't need to hear the content. Yeah. Because, but, I don't know, but when yeah. it's not actually them, you're like, I want to focus more on what was written and what the jokes are and what. Yeah, I mean they, they you know, they did a beautiful job of you know dressing the set and mm. props and stuff. It looked exactly like the movie. Right. They did, you know, whoever you know did that part of it. It's amazing, um, but you know, it's almost like there is such a thing as too big of a budget. You know, I think that's something that happens with SNL a lot. Um, you know, I think in the early days, you know, there were fewer wigs and fewer prosthetics <laughs> and, um, you know, you don't always need those things. No. Um, you That's know, if the, sure. the, the, Second the, City's, uh, yeah. Are they going wig heavy or? No, I'm no, just saying, okay. they're, <laughs> no, they have, well, the original idea is just like, all you have is, you know, chairs. Yeah. So yeah. 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 People in chairs. There we go. Right. Shout out to people in chairs. I love those guys. Yeah, me too. They 
let me write like a big long meandering Colbert related essay yeah. before the Colbert premiere, <laughs> uh, which I was on, incidentally. Yes, tell us about that. Um, I was on the Colbert premiere. Yay! Um, I went to uh, I went to the Late Show's uh, final test taping back in September. They did a whole series of test tapings, and then uh, I was at the premiere on September eighth. And when we were going in, well, actually, they you know you line up and then they give you tickets and they say you know go away for an hour and a half and come back. But first, if you want, you can go inside the lobby here and have your photo taken. <laughs> And we're like, okay, weird, why? And they're like, ah, just for a thing. And we're like, <laughs> okay, let's do it. So, you know, I, it was the hottest day of the year. It was, oh my God, it was horrible. It was the hottest day of the year, and, uh, you know, I, I felt disgusting. And I was, I had been interviewed by, like, so many news outlets already, and I was like, whatever. <laughs> At this point, what's a photo? Um, and it was not until uh, I was... You know, we were watching the show. We were in the audience. That they did. Uh, they had all these musical guests come on, and they did uh, uh, everyday people. Uh, they had Mavis Staples come on and sing everyday people, uh, and they projected a bunch of our faces up behind the band. So I was literally on uh, the premiere of the Late Show, which is great. And then I just went back um, a few weeks ago, and it was uh, for a Friday night episode, and they did this thing called Friday Night Fights, and they cut to the audience, and you chant, Friday Night Fights, and I'm, like, right in the middle, and I'm, yeah. like, I'm giving her, I'm never, I'm, like, almost threw my back out, and I was, like, yeah, I'm doing this, um, so there's, my oh, cover yeah. photo right now on Facebook is me, like, with my mouth open, like, crazy person, uh, and I did, I did at the test show, and then at the um, at this last show, I asked Stephen questions twice each, each time during the Q and A, and he did not seem to remember me, which oh. actually was a topic of conversation. He has a crazy memory. He's so good. He remembers everybody. And when we were having a conversation, it ended. He he was like, "Oh, did you ever come to the show?" And I was like, "In the thirteen tapings uh -huh. uh, and all this other stuff." And he's like, "Oh, I'm surprised I don't remember you." I was like, oh. "I'm like, oh, they always stick me in a corner. It's fine." And then, like, of course, I go to the show and I like, you know, ask questions and there's no flicker recognition at all after speaking to me for five minutes. I'm like, I but I kind of take pride in it, like, you know, to be you're the one person in his blind spot. But like, to, but honestly, like, to be as an intense fan as I am. And to not give him a reason to remember me. <laughs> That's a good point. It's he's pretty yeah, good. Flying under the radar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Just so. remember, I wrote that book about you. <laughs> yeah, uh, by the way, I wrote a book about you. It's kind of awkward. Um... Yeah, so... Uh, Did you just finish, like, your question to him with that? Well, what's really funny is that, like, I was actually kind of trying to bait him a bit with both the questions. What did you ask him? So at the test taping, I said, um, does it weird you out that there are people who are as into you as you are into Lord of the Rings? <laughs> uh, and he actually oh, answered, he answered sincerely, and he said, no, that's lovely, and blah, 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 blah. Because, um, you know, I was kind of like... I left the door wide open for him to, like, make fun of me. Right. Or whatever. And then I, I almost did the same thing this last time. Because um, uh, the foursome that I was with, we were all very hardcore fans. To the point, his brother walked into the lobby while we were waiting in line. And we are like, oh my god, it's Ed. Like, all four of us <laughs> were like, Ed's here, guys. Um, <laughs> like, we should, Ed's a lawyer. He's not in show business. We should not recognize him. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, we decided on mine, and, and my question was, um, 
question about the old show, there's a behind the scenes of the Colbert Report documentary listed on Jeff Cooperman's LinkedIn account. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I, I really thought the phrase Jeff Cooperman's LinkedIn account would have would have made him like prod a little bit, but it didn't seem to phase him at all. Uh-huh. And he explained what it what it hopefully will be because they shot a bunch of stuff. Oh, they okay. made a documentary, but they can't get the, the clearances oh. for the 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 clips yet. Um, so, but I was like, I'm, I needed to know what this thing was. Yeah. I had seen that because I was on a former producer's LinkedIn account. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's fine. This is normal. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> and so, I, you know, I was desperate to know what this thing was because I really want to see it. Uh, and it was, you know, all, you know, I, cause I'm kind of a production nerd. Like I like that stuff. Um, so yeah, I got a straight answer out of him, and he, he it was it was fun. Like I don't know if it just didn't dawn on him that that's a weird thing for an audience member to know, but or you know, or he did recognize me and didn't didn't show it because he's that good of an actor, and you know, maybe. He probably gets a lot of people asking really like deep, deep cuts. No, you know what they, he doesn't because it, there's not a lot of us who are so hardcore that we know deep cuts to that mm. degree. Um, you would think, but most people ask, you know, if they think they're being deep cutty, they're, uh, they ask about improv. Right. Um, they'll ask, they ask all the time about, like, are you going to run for president again? Uh, um, I, like, at multiple tapings, I know he has hacks. been, I know he has been asked what his favorite cheese is. <laughs> multiple times. And what is it? Uh, I don't know. No, ah, bullshit! You don't know. No, I okay. literally don't Let me know. Read your book. I'm sure. It's Ask me what all three <laughs> of his kids' names are. But yeah, but most of the questions he get are he gets are pretty pedestrian. He gets asked a lot about like you know what books are on in the bookcases on the set. Um, when I was there, somebody asked him what he gave up for Lent. Oh, that's, that's a good. good that's yeah. a good question. That's pretty good. Yeah. What do you say? Oh. oh, I think he said he was trying to give up beer, but then he had been drinking. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah, so if you know he gets at the old show, they used to suggest to the audience to ask him about uh, doing the shows in Iraq, uh, doing the oh, show, yeah. doing uh, you know Lord of the Rings stuff, and there was one other thing, uh, or <laughs> White House Correspondence Dinner. Oh, so yeah. he still gets asked about that. So like that those were so he would take like five questions at the top of the show, and that would be three of them. Right. So. It, People are not, they don't realize until the audience coordinators tell them, hey, he takes questions. They don't realize that they can come up with right. something. So I plan for months. I have Google Docs. <laughs> I have Google Docs sure, yeah. going back <laughs> several years of potential questions. Um, and, and, you know, try to do it right and try to plan it right. And I try not to ask anything that we'll eventually know the answer to regardless. Right. Um, which I, I broke that with the documentary right. question because, you know, Supposedly, we'll eventually see Hear it. About it yeah. But um, yeah, like I've you know asked him to try to be really specific. Yeah. Um, and That's the journalist in you. Yeah, exactly. Right. And when you were, you but were also like, what question are you gonna ask? I'm like, so, I don't know. So <laughs> it's color the, your underpants. <laughs> yeah. So it's the journalist in me, but it's also uh, it's also the comedian and producer right. in me in that. The purpose of that Q&A is for him to warm up that crowd even further and get them primed for the show. So you want to be able to give him something that he can 
use as a springboard for either a really fun story. That's true. Or a joke. Yeah, or... so then you can see more of him, not just, like, the standard question that he's used to answering. Yeah, because there's a lot that I would love to know. Like, I like I would love nothing more than to just have a conversation with him about right. creativity and his work. Right. Um, but, you know, most of the questions I would like to ask him are not appropriate for a Q&A. Right. Not because that they're, you or know, like a sit down private or something. It's yeah. like... It's like, okay, what is this part of your post as? How do you make this work? Right. Like, I'm not going to ask that in front of an audience. No, that's, not, like, that's not gearing up for a comedy show Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's podcast question. Would... Yeah, it would be <laughs> selfish of me to ask a oh, question. Well, why like don't that. we just have him on the podcast? We should, eh? <laughs> <laughs> he danced when I was there with him. Well, you're a great dancer. How'd you learn how to dance? That's actually really good because he, he will he dance at yeah. any for any reason <laughs> at all, and it's really fun. Uh, and his, like, Oh, I'm so fucking jealous of, like, his object work is crazy. You rarely get to see it because he has props. Like, he has right. a props department. For sure. So it's rare that he ever does, like, any kind of miming or anything. Mm. And, but god damn it, he's so good and it makes me mad. Like, I'm so... I'm That's just, like the, imp- like, a horny improviser thing to say. Be like, uh, oh man, his object god. work is so hot. Because he'll... Okay, so here's... He does this all the time. Um, he will pretend that he has a cell phone for some reason and be like, we're doing it on a cell phone, whatever. He'll still be holding it in his hand as he continues to talk <laughs> and then just sort of slide it into his breast suit oh, pocket. That's great. And I'm just like, oh, every time I'm like, oh, you fucker, you're so good. I can't take it. Why would it. you do that? Is it because it's fun for yourself knowing no, that you're doing but it's, it? Or? You're probably it's, also trained to, like, you know, like if you're. It's commitment, and I think part of it is like. It just his brain is wired to do something with the object and not let it disappear. <laughs> Which most of us, like, I certainly would. My object work is horrible. I usually end up throwing my stuff away. <laughs> if I've forgotten about it, I'm just like... <laughs> Toss yeah. over my shoulder, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I, I, wish I, I wish I had even 10% of uh, his talent. Well, well that's movement. Your, your clowning training and your... Yeah, well, we didn't get to that either, but this, this what is getting... physical comedy class? Oh, I'll, I'll top you up if that's what you're saying. Oh, oh, is that what we're saying? Oh, the answers are going to get even better with another <laughs> glass of wine. Um, no, uh, well, we'll talk about clown. Yeah, um, clown was sort of like the the last, the final difficult thing that I had to uh, accomplish. Clown is something else that I sort of went back to or gave the next attempt to uh, in my year off or my nine months off from Colbert. Um, and it was sort of the final... We call it your cold break. My cold break. Oh my god, <laughs> that's brilliant. Why did I not think of that the entire time? Uh, during my cold break, um, it, it was something I had always, always, always uh, wanted to do. Even when I didn't want to do any other kind of performing, I was like, oh, that seems like an amazing thing to do. Um, and uh, I developed huge anxiety around it, actually. Mm. Um it's kind of a long story short, um, but I a did not think that I was at all capable of doing it, uh, and b didn't want to tell anyone that I was trying to do it. Uh, I just horribly like like irrationally uh, ashamed of trying to do it. So there issues beyond normal performing issues, um, and I had taken some classes before. And, you know, sort of pushed through the fear of doing those classes and did okay, but was not, um, 
I guess, you know, I was still very restrained and still very careful, and you can't be. You have to Not, be completely yeah. exposed and completely open. Which is why it's kind of intimidating, right? Absolutely. That sounds um, like something you need years of therapy to get to. Well, I, I should have had years of therapy. I would have gotten into it sooner. Um, I, uh, Why are you here? I need to work on my clown, and let's do this work. In that a would have, uh, you know, if I had done that when I was 25, I would be a much happier person today. Um, but I went back uh, as part of my cold break. I went to... Uh, um, hashtag cold break. Yeah, hashtag cold break. Uh, I went to uh, Sketchy and Fesso's Crash Course in Vaudeville, Ooh. which is, uh, so my friends uh, Dave and Jeff, who run uh, Lunacy Cabaret, uh, which is a big monthly circus show, um, the two of them are clowns, and they uh, teach this thing. That it, it's mostly clown-focused, and there's, you know, also stuff about, you know, how to host a show and how to work with an audience and how to, you know, a lot of technical stuff as well. That stuff's helpful. Yeah, stuff's very helpful. And, but it is essentially clown. Um, and I took it for the second time. And the first time I did it was fine. Um, you know, I did, uh, but I, I, I was very guarded in everything that I was doing in care, in my, you know, final show. It was very guarded. It was very planned. It was very, um, you know, it, it, it just, I wasn't there yet, and I'm not saying that I'm there yet now, um, but definitely getting there. You're closer. So, yeah, I'm getting closer. Um, but I, I definitely treated, I, I definitely approached my anxiety around it as something that I needed to solve. You know, it wasn't enough to just get through the course and do the final, you know, class show in front of friends and family kind of thing. Um, like I needed to sort of beat this as far as the anxiety that I was feeling and why I was feeling it. And I needed to figure it out. Um, because, you know, it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I'm, you know, 37 years old or 36 at the time. And I'm kind of too old for this shit. Like I, <laughs> I need to, you know, I need to get myself uh, sorted out, um, and not be afraid of this. Um, and so... You know, uh, I did it, and I got some help uh, from a few friends of mine who have some expertise in, you know, mental health and anxiety, and uh, sort of tried to break it down. And you know, I I started, I started purposely looking at it as like a mental health issue rather mm. than uh, a logical issue because I was always trying to find the logic in What's fear. What's the reason for it? Yeah. yeah, I was always like, oh, well, it's logical because, well, you know, people do hate clowns, so, you know, it's right. kind of logical that I wouldn't want anyone to know about this. Um, but it, it went so far beyond that that I was like, okay, well, this isn't about logic, so let's, right. let's treat it like it's illogical. Uh, and once I did that, um, it, it just, it was like flicking a switch. Hmm. It was kind of weird. Um, you know, to the point where, like, I'm, I, I don't get freaked out telling people about it anymore. And, and now, I mean, people are sometimes weird about it, uh, but, you know. That's what, them, you know. That's not your problem. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. And, I mean, that's the normal, healthy way of approaching that. But, like, before, that would have been, like, you know, I would have been. been terrified. Yeah. yeah, it would have be like, you know, under the covers in bed in the fetal position, <laughs> like, wondering what to do with my life. Why does everybody hate me? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um. And, you know, actually, weirdly enough, after I did my class show, the night after I, I did that and got through it, um, a friend of mine from Baltimore was visiting in Toronto with her husband because he was speaking at some medical conference. Hmm. And I don't know him, but I, I know her from many, many years ago, and we had not seen each other in 20 years. And um, 
I met up with her and him, and uh, uh, I was, you know, telling him about what I had been through, and it turned out he was in town speaking because he is the head of anxiety disorders wow. at Johns Hop- John Hopkins. Wow. Uh, okay. So, like, he's the it's top like guy, like, in, yeah. in the world. Wow. Like, um, and so, basically, I, you know, I told him everything and told him what I was doing and how I was trying to look at things, and he just kind of nodded. He was like, well, sounds like you're doing all the right things. I'm like, great. <laughs> Take that as an <laughs> endorsement. This guy tells me it's okay. It's <laughs> like I saved a lot of money on therapy. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, I was invited to do the bit in the Toronto Festival of Clown. It was so cute. Thank you. I thought it was such a cute bit. I love, I, and I loved, like, it was, you know, it was six and a half minutes of me on stage not speaking, uh, which is difficult for me to not talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's good and I want to do more and I, I, uh, was in another class and, um, my schedule is just not allowing me to do more training right now because I already have two classes a week, but, um. It's, uh, yeah, something I definitely want to do more of and, and definitely felt really comfortable doing it. Like, that bit, like, I felt more comfortable in my own skin on stage than I've ever felt on stage. That's so, right. Yeah. Um, you, yeah, you looked like you were having fun, you know? You looked like you were comfortable. Usually that's that. what you say to people who, uh, <laughs> so, no, yeah, so you're like, you look like you were having fun. No, but I mean, like, I know you and I, you looked happy and you know like oh. you were working the crowd you know like we were on your side we were it was it was a lot of fun well thanks from what you're talking about the colbert's uh presence and stuff how he does on stage where it's super friendly organic and true it sounds like you were doing that when you're doing your your six minutes that is a brilliant fucking insight huh. <laughs> uh check that no, off the list that is- <laughs> Um, it was bound to happen. At yeah. some time. <laughs> uh, hey, a, a broken clock is uh, right. Uh, but no, that is one. You're one hundred percent correct because when I, you know, when I was young, like really young, and to the, you know, first time I was able to comprehend what clown was and that you know people do this and this is what this is. That is what formed my ideals of what comedy is and what it can be and so seeing Colbert you know like I said earlier reflect that back to me he has he very much has all of the essentials of clown in him in his performance and to my knowledge he has never taken a day of clown training in his life now he may have and has just never mentioned it right um but you know and I don't know but um his old character on the Colbert Report was Buffon. Like, oh, sure, absolutely yeah. textbook Buffon. No, yeah, it's pretty much the definition of it. Yeah, and, uh, and him as himself, and he actually had some moments on, on the Report that were very, like, red-nosed clown, like, straight, straight-ahead clown. There's so much clown in him, and I don't... Uh, there's... That's not an accident that... You know, I have the history that I have, and then you finding him with you know this you know moment of strong you know, connection. Yeah, like, exactly. Revelatory. Yeah, yeah. Sherilyn, you were the first uh, Twitter person I met in real life because I'm late in life to Twitter, <laughs> and I met you at comedy bar at one of Bree's shows. And I freaked out. I was like, I know you from Twitter. <laughs> and I think I creeped you out. So I wanted to apologize for that. She's been keeping this the whole time. It's amazing. Uh, you did not creep me out. Oh, cool, good. <laughs> that did not creep me out, but thank you. Cool. And... <laughs> 
that was the big moment for me. I love Twitter right now. It's, it's, I can't say it's my jam. It's my lifestyle. And my wife has been killing me about it lately. And my kids are calling me on it. So it's a big issue. Oh, anyway, geez. I love Twitter. <laughs> and I have yeah. a conversation with uh, advertisers and stuff because they're saying Twitter is dead. Oh, good. Well, It'll <laughs> give me my life. Back. Well, you have an advertiser sitting right here. Um, but I don't think we should add a third hour to this <laughs> podcast. Uh, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Thank you so much, Sherilyn, for coming Thank you. on the show. We're going to post all of Sherilyn's social media stuff. So so you can follow her too and then when you meet her in person you could creep her out as well <laughs> uh, don't forget to pick up your copy of bears and balls uh the complete sorry the colbert report a to z or Z, if you are purchasing it in canada um <laughs> thanks so much for coming on the show Sherwin. thank you for having me it was fun yay and uh struggle on, on the wall. <laughs> and i would not